Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is produced in association with Jazz Times. Pianist, composer, vocalist Deanna Witkowski celebrates one of her favorite musicians, Mary Lou Williams, with a new CD of Williams' compositions, Force of Nature, and Music for the Soul, her biography of Mary Lou Williams. Mary Lou Williams transcended a difficult life of racism, sexism, and financial difficulty to become one of the most respected jazz musicians of her time. She wrote and arranged for Duke Ellington and Benny Goodman and mentored and taught Thelonious Monk, Charlie Parker, Miles Davis, Tad Dameron, Bud Powell, Dizzy Gillespie, and many others. Although Deanna's life experience is much different from Mary Lou's, she feels a special kinship with Williams through their music and spiritual focus. I talked to Deanna Witkowski about it all from her home in Pittsburgh. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I asked Deanna about the Mary Lou Williams recording, Nightlife. This is the first known track we have of of the Mary Lou recorded, and it actually was something that she didn't know was being recorded as she played it, because she had gone from Kansas City up to Chicago to record with the Andy Kirk band, and this was like a mini session that happened before the band got there. So, you know, she played a couple of tunes and this was one of them that was recorded. So there, there's a couple of things I think about this tune. One I think of is, I mean, Mary Lou in, in all her different eras of her playing, she has such a rhythmic propulsion and energy that's, I mean, and you know, Judy, you're a stride player. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I've heard you stride. I've oh heard you. Oh, my gosh. Well, it, I have great respect for stride players because it's physically really demanding, you know. And, and I mean, I don't care. Like, you know, two minutes of stride is a lot of work, you know. Um, and I also like that Mary Lou has different sections to her pieces. You know, it's not like in jazz now we think, oh, Great American Songbook, 32 bars, you know, two A sections that repeat, then the bridge, then, you know. No, I mean, it's very different. So, um, and that's something that I appreciate about this too. But also just the fact that to me, even just thinking about that she didn't know that she was being recorded. And it's sort of like it's just this off-the-cuff thing that then became something she went back to later on in her career and played later on. Um, but, it, yeah, it's it's still pretty breathtaking to listen to. Thank you. 
I'm glad you brought up about her stride because I'm really struck by her power and strength. Mm. And I know that was a big thing. The guys always said, you play like a man. Uh, not knowing, I always felt that a woman could do this. Right. That it's all just a technique right. of and playing it. But I get to ask you, because you actually know the answers of these things, because I've listened <laughs> to other things, and it sounds like she's walking, not breaking up the tenths. Mm. Did she have, because I can reach a tenth, right. but I can only do it if I'm playing slow tunes. Right. I because can't do it like it, fads. I can't it, go ten, ten, you know, fast. Right, you know what right, I mean? Right. Could she do that? I think that there, you're right that there were times when she was doing more walking. So not always doing tenth, 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 tenth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause I just, it, it's, I mean, she sounds amazing. Yeah. You know, one of, well, the cool thing is, and people can find this online, I mean, just looking at YouTube, is the recital that she did at Montreux at the Jazz Festival in the 70s. She plays The Man I Love and part of its stride. So it's like it's a really great um, document, you know, mm-hmm. to examine and actually see how. I mean, and to me, that's one thing that's amazing because Mary Lou's style, you know, she she played so many different styles of jazz. But the fact that, you know, when she was towards the end of her life that she could still play stride when she wanted to, even if she didn't always necessarily do that on all of her recordings or every gig or something like that's something that really takes incredible practice and strength. She was keeping that up. That's what we're talking about for people who don't play piano. It's very hard to do a little stride. Right. You have to keep that together to, it'd be like a dancer not dancing for months and then just going out and having right. to dance or like, without. Or like wind instruments with embouchure. You know, like exactly. piano, everyone thinks, oh, you can sit down and play a note and a sound comes out. Well, yes, but, you know, I mean, especially for, for instruments that are relying on breath control and, you know, and, and and all of that, that's a totally different thing. And so that's the thing that I think of similar to piano playing with something like stride. You can't just leave it alone and <laughs> come back and to it and expect in. to play it. They have the same metronome <laughs> markings. Like, forget it. Uh, yeah. Well, I want to play something else because I'm thinking of our listeners who don't know much about Mary Lou. And there's a track, If Dreams Come True, that's 10 years later of the one that we just played. And I think it's so interesting to hear all these influences mm. because she hung out with all these people. She mm-hmm. was a great mentor, which is also wonderful, mm. of Monk and Bud Powell. Right. And I talk about that, and then we'll play this track, too, because I think it's interesting. Sure. Well, you know, so the first track, Nightlife, and that's when Mary Lou was first starting out with the Andy Kirk band. So if you kind of think what happened for about the next 10 or say 12 years of her life, I mean, she was pretty much with that band for about 12 years till like 1942. She moves to New York City on her own in 1943 and really starts doing more work as a band leader. She really wanted to be able to do her own music, but uh, she was already, you know, even when she was in Pittsburgh, I mean, she... Errol Garner is, I believe, about 10 years younger than she is, and they were very good friends, and she had encouraged him to go to New York. I think she was, I think they were both influenced by each other. Mm. Um, And and also, she was 
very actively going out to hear other pianists, like after her nightly gigs or three sets at Cafe Society. She was having people like Monk and Bud Powell and Tad Dameron over to her apartment in Harlem. And so she was definitely absorbing um, from them, but they were also absorbing from her because she talks about how she played what she called weird chords. No, which, well, <laughs> that's which, a technical <laughs> term. It's a very technical term. And yeah, it basically means stuff that to me, the word I use is crunchy stuff mm. that just sounds like you can't tell how it's functioning with a harmony or something. Mm. But like she, when she, when she does her, also her Zodiac suite, in 1945 she's really kind of and that's around the beginnings of bebop too she's not playing bebop in that suite but she's she's playing harmonies that are uh, kind of in line or foreshadowing you know later developments of bebop and things so it's always hard to know who influenced who Mm. but the fact that she was in the mix it wasn't like she was just you know doing her her gig at Cafe Society and doing nothing else. She was definitely like hanging out with all of these other musicians as well. on If Dreams Come True. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. My guest is pianist, vocalist, and Mary Lou Williams scholar, Deanna Witkowski. Deanna's CD, Force of Nature, celebrates Williams. She has also written a thoughtful biography of Williams, exploring her music and her spiritual journey, called Mary Lou Williams, Music for the Soul. I loved your phrase, soul companion. (laughs) I want you to talk about this because it's beautiful because I was thinking, I guess Fats Waller's my soul companion, you know? (laughs) People that that it was the energy. (laughs) But it's other things besides the music because we have different people who influence us. Mm. And, but it goes beyond that. I know when I heard that my first Count Basie record when he was with Benny Moten's band, it was mm. completely the energy and mm. the drive of it. That I didn't know who Count Basie mm. was. I wasn't even listening to jazz, but somebody played it. And mm. I thought, 
that is the most exciting thing I've ever heard. Mm. So it, it tapped into something with me. But you have extraordinary connections with Mary Lou Williams. It's, it's amazing to me. Mm. So talk about that. I just think it's such a beautiful thing that you two hooked up, as it were. <laughs> so talk about this. And I do. I think soul companion is a beautiful phrase. So talk about yeah, that. Yeah. Well, you know, I also thought about that term soul companion because I, for years, uh, I went monthly to see a, a spiritual director, which is someone who basically is a companion and, and they meet with you to help you to see, you know, where, I mean, if you, if you believe in God, you know, where God is, is active in your life or where you see movement in your life, where you see things stagnating. Um, and it's, it's kind of an accompaniment, you know, so it's a friendship, it's a, a walking with, and that's what I really think of that term, companion. Um, and I've thought of Mary Lou that way for quite a while. Because so when I first started learning about her, it was way back in like 2000, when Billy Taylor invited me to play at the Mary Lou Williams Women in Jazz Fest at the Kennedy Center. And I just felt like this probably shows something about my personality that, you know, uh, so this musician's name was on the name of the festival and I didn't know any of her music at all. And I felt responsible. Like I felt like I've got to spend some time checking out her music. But at the same time that I started doing that, I had read the first biography that came out about her called Morning Glory by Linda Dahl. And what really started hooking me in to more than just the music was when I learned that Mary Lou had written all this liturgical music, sacred music for communities to use in houses of worship. And that was something that I had just started doing. I had moved to New York and was working at a music director at an Episcopal church. I had just written their first jazz mass. And, you know, I'm not going to say everyone sang it perfectly or anything, but like to me, that was part of the whole thing is that Mary Lou was very generous and and having wanting other people to, especially with say her sacred music, to like sing her music, to teach it to kids, you know, to have jazz be parts of of milieus that like they you don't usually think of. <laughs> yeah, know, like, which is great. And she didn't expect it to have just people come to her. She came to them. And and that's a a lot of musicians, I don't think, necessarily get that. Like we have this thing that jazz is is this. Is, is this important music that, and it is, and has has this very storied history. But I mean, just like Judy, you're talking about hearing Count Basie for the first time with Benny Moten's band and it just caught you. Like that's that's what the music is. And and for me, that, that actually started with hearing Mary Lou's some of her sacred music first. Um, and, and then going back and listening to, I mean, <laughs> was all over the roadmap just chronologically what I listened to like one of my favorite probably my favorite Mary Lou record is Zoning from 1974 which sounds still so modern today
I started really looking to Mary Lou also like as a friend and a support. I mean, so <laughs> for instance, like when I got asked to write the biography on her, there were times I was like, what, what am I doing? Like, this is, this is such difficult work and I don't have a university that's giving me a sabbatical and paying me to do this. I'm still trying to do all my other stuff and you know COVID happens and lose all your gigs and like whatever. How on earth am I gonna do this? So I just I just talked to Mary Lou about it, you know, like like what you know, okay, I I need to figure out how I how I can get, you know, keep going on with this. And to me that's a big thing about her spirit. It's and especially her charitable work too. She really wanted to encourage people no matter what walk of life they were in to just keep on going mm. and and that was a really big thing for her so i mean to me you know i i kind of followed mary lou to the nth degree because <laughs> when, I, when i came to pittsburgh a few years ago to do some research for uh, in service of the book I I spent a lot of time getting to know jazz musicians here. I, I had come here several times for performances. I came here for about seven weeks. And I just thought, I sense Mary Lou's spirit here because everyone was so welcoming and, and uh, very much like I would go to... Uh, a jazz venue and and it would be like yeah baby you can play you know and people really really like really expressing how they felt in in a very genuine way and it just it was for me it was a different experience than and something I felt like had been missing Mm. for me for quite a while so I thought wow I think I want to like be around this more and um and, you know, as you know, Judy, I ended up moving here to Pittsburgh. I uh, know. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> so, radical. Yeah. It's- I mean, I was in New York for 23 years. So it's it's still, it's, it's very, very different. And, uh, <laughs> but I, one of the craziest things was I bought a house here about a year ago and I didn't realize until maybe half a year after that one day taking the bus home because I still don't have a car, which I really need here in <laughs> the hills. But I was taking a bus home from somewhere and a bus route I don't normally take. And we passed the cemetery and I was like, wait a minute. I know like years and years ago, I went to the cemetery where Mary Lou's gravesite is, Calvary Cemetery in Homewood. And oh my goodness, this is it. And it's a wow. mile from my house. Oh my word. I mean, so I've actually gone, you know, a few times and just walk there. I just talked to Mary Lou on the, it's a very long walk in that's meant for cars, but you know, I just walk all the way. Like GPS took me exactly to her grave. And yeah, so I, I, I definitely, you know, I, I really do feel that, especially because people here in Pittsburgh, they know who Mary Lou was, but Again, there some people know about her music, but a lot of people want to know more. And so they're just really interested. And that's one thing that is really great and that I appreciate here.
My guest, pianist Deanna Witkowski on Cancer, Act of Contrition, from her CD tribute to Mary Lou Williams, Force of Nature. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Through her study of Mary Lou Williams' life and music, Deanna found that she and Williams have many things in common, so much so that Deanna now refers to Williams as her soul companion. I love that you found an environment through this woman, through Mary Lou, Mm -hmm. and that was supportive. And I think for our listeners, they would think anybody would hear your music and they would all go, yeah, baby, you can play. But but it doesn't always happen. I know as a fellow musician, Mm -hmm. you go in and you're lucky if you even get to play a lot Mm -hmm. of the times. And it's interesting I'm happy this has come up a lot lately on the show, and I think more because we've gone through the pandemic mm-hmm. and a lot of the environment that isn't supportive in the world. Mm. And I've had a number of people talk about music as love, putting beauty mm. into the world, and it's like they've gone to hell and back, and they've mm-hmm. come on just, it's all about love. I don't even want to talk mm-hmm. about anything else mm-hmm. about it. And it's really beautiful. And I, I love that you, there was a quote that you had, um, or I'm quoting you, that you said, Williams showed that the discipline, freedom, and beauty inherent in being a jazz musician and a person of faith has the power to heal the troubled soul. Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful. Mm. And it's such a lovely thing to focus on mm-hmm. and what this music can do for us. And and you're amazing CD, I the one of the reasons I really wanted to play some of Mary Lou's earlier work, and and show the substance of her compositions that they can take an entirely mm. different interpretation right. with right. what you did. We do three sections from the Zodiac Suite on on my new record on Force of Nature, and so in Aries, like I love the middle section because <laughs> there's this. There's this section in like D, it's like a D flat seven, like funky thing. I've actually figured out, I have this new theory that D flat is like Mary Lou's, like variations on D flat is her favorite chord Um, because there's so many tunes in in D flat, which is not like a, you know. (laughs) No, it's not a key. You're making me think of it. Yeah, not really. Not really. Yeah. Not one that you're on the bandstand, they say, hey, baby, D flat. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, there's like three tunes on here in D flat or something. But anyway, yeah. So like the middle of it, to me, it just feels like this train because there's this bass line that's going. And she is, and on Taurus, there's a section in the middle that sounds like a train to me too. It's odd because I haven't seen anything that said she was thinking about a train or something. But I love this section because you can just take it totally out if you want. You could just use that little two note repeating thing in the bass for just like a springboard. And so that's what we kind of do and open up the middle. Um, and it, and it's also harmonically, it just goes in different places. And, and it's, you know, it's kind of strange. I mean, I just think it's super cool too, because dynamically, uh, like it's very powerful at the beginning with this big gliss. And then at the end, there's like these big crunchy chords and the just you know that we all hit together that tunes don't usually end that way 
And it's, it's very surprising, I think. Anna Witkowski on the Mary Lou Williams composition, Aries, from her CD, Force of Nature. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway & Sons. Additional support is provided by Jazz Times Magazine, providing entertaining and provocative coverage of the jazz scene since 1970. On the web at jazztimes.com. For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can listen to Jazz Inspired on your favorite podcast platform and email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Stride Queen. 
Although we broadcast on NPR stations, we're an independent production not funded by NPR. Please visit jazzinspired.com to find out how you can chip in and support us. No gift is too small. And please write a review on Apple Podcasts, which is the best way for us to entice others to listen to the show. Thanks for helping us spread the word and celebrate our 22 years on air. I'm talking to pianist and Mary Lou Williams scholar Deanna Witkowski about her CD tribute to Williams, Force of Nature. Talk about Taurus. Talk about this piece and your wonderful interpretation. Well, this is another piece that is very short, and usually it it has this section at the beginning that's almost three identical statements. Like Mary Lou will play this thing that sounds like a ringing bell, like this octave C at the top, and then she plays a lower chord, and she does that like three times and whatever, blah, 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 and does this whole sequence three times through, which is almost identical. And I kind of thought... If I'm playing this to the trio, I also went back and listened, you know, before she recorded Zodiac Suite, she had done, I believe the year before in 44, she recorded this as Taurus Mood. It was one of the first movements of of the suite that she wrote or improvised and, you know, eventually wrote down. And that version was a little bit different. And then I thought, you know what, I think I can do something different with this. So I wanted everybody to get to have their little moments of of soloing so at the beginning i just take i mean it's very simple i just take after i do this ringing note and play you know a chord and then i just told the guys like okay you know here's the bass section i just want you to play a little a little short phrase and i i mean this is kind of very technical but this is that's really the main thing that we changed about it except for in the middle where it again sounds like a train because it's these fifths and they keep going do 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 and the bass or the the drums is my favorite part in <laughs> all the zodiac suite it's like and I always start laughing at this part because it just sounds hilarious to me. No, I'm serious. We would go around before COVID, like when we had gigs or we're touring and in the van, and we'd be singing to each other like, <laughs> whatever. But anyway, it just starts again, this section that we opened up a little bit. So Mary Lou plays this melody in there that she also, you'll find this interesting. She used that same melody in this middle section for uh, a, a folio of sheet music. I forget mm. which one it was. It might've been the one that's called Mary the Williams Boogie Transcriptions or something. And it was called Bobo and Doodles. Now, no. I don't know where this name came from. I, I'm sure it's somewhere, but, but- The name of her cats. Yeah, the name of, well, I don't know. But, but she, you know, to me it was like, okay, you hear this, you know, like, you think of somebody like Ellington who took snippets of his material mm-hmm. and used them in all these different places. Mm-hmm. I think that's what she did there too. Maybe mm. I don't know the whole story, but I think maybe she had to come up with something for this this volume and she just took the middle section of Taurus and plopped it over there and called it something else, which I find really interesting. Mm. Um, so those are kind of the main differences that we used in that movement.
main thing about all of this is I think she wanted people to play her music and to be open about experimenting with it. I mean, one thing I found in my research that I thought was pretty fascinating, and hopefully someday I can find out what happened, but I went to the Melba Liston archives at Columbia College Chicago, and I, I got to see a folder there that was titled Zodiac Suite. And Melba, who worked with Mary Lou on arranging, you know, several movements of the Zodiac Suite later on for Dizzy at Newport in 57 and some of her sacred music when she did it at Carnegie Hall in 67 and things. She also apparently was working with Mary Lou to write a version of the Zodiac Suite for Thelonious Monk, his quintet, and three different chamber music orchestrations. So she had grouped, I saw these sheets, Melba Liston had grouped the 12 astrological signs into four groups and, or sorry, three groups, three different instrumentations, listed characteristics of each sign, and then adjectives. I, I typed all these, I have them all on my computer. Wow. And then I don't know what happened after that because there's no beginning sketches or anything that I saw in the archives, but obviously there was some desire for that project to happen. Yeah. Um, and so to me, that also gave me the feeling like the, that I could take liberties, mm. you know, with, with what Mary Lou originally played and how I wanted to reconceive it. My guest, pianist Deanna Witkowski, on the Mary Lou Williams composition, What's Your Story, Morning Glory? From Deanna's new CD, Force of Nature. Something I enjoyed in your book, Mary Lou Williams' Music for the Soul, which is such a lovely <laughs> title, was you 
talked about how she got going and her early uh, music education, as it were, mm-hmm. which is mainly by ear, mm-hmm. and how she then got into writing later, but or notating. You touched on different things that happened that were challenging on the road, but you didn't dwell on it, mm-hmm. which I appreciated because I feel that you and I have talked about this before off mic of just what is so often focused on with jazz musicians, like, uh, you know, the drugs, mm-hmm. the, the hard life, all of that, where I wish that people would focus more on the creativity, which how is how I feel about the arts, right. uh, artists in general. Right. I'm Even if they're on a talk show, and um, I'm repeating myself here, all my <laughs> rants, I don't want to hear about their families. I don't want to hear about all that. I want to hear mm-hmm. about their process, right. what they were thinking about with the movie, or I want them to be, enter- and I want them to be entertaining. Right. You know, that they're, to be funny or something, tell us some stories. But I'm really more interested in the reason they're there. Right. And they're there because of their art and their creativity. Right. And we all have challenges along the way. And they're significant for our development. But you touched on these things, so we got the information. Mm-hmm. And it made me even more impressed that she kept forging mm-hmm. ahead with her life when she had these challenges mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it really was about the music. Right. The music, it was almost like she said, okay, yeah, that bad thing happened, but here I go. Right. <laughs> Back yeah. to my art. Speak to that because that I, that was a choice on your part to write it that way, and I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Yeah, so that's a couple things that that makes me think of. So one is that I think I really wanted, I wanted to tell Mary Lou Williams a story, and I wanted to respect her voice. And, you know, oftentimes as a biographer, you're making decisions about what to share, what not to share, and the tone in which you share it. And, you know, Mary Lou was someone who, she gave a lot of interviews in the last few years of her life. And and she really did give often a narrative that she repeated a lot. And there was, you know, some hyperbole in there and (laughs) some different, different things, but she really um, didn't dwell on uh, certain hardships or, you know, really terrible things that happened to her. She wanted people to know her work. And I think that's very important. And I think that's sadly something that's part of the reason I'm so glad that this book and this recording came out within months of each other is that, you know, I want the recording to, or the book to point to Mary Lou's recording and to my recording as well. So that there's a sense of, I don't want to read a book about a musician and then not hear any of their music. I mean, I need to know, you know, what their music sounds like and why it sounds as a composer. I want to know why it sounds the way that it does and what makes it distinctive. Um, I think that also as soon as we dwell, say more on uh, really perhaps negative things that we flatten out the narrative. So everybody's narrative. So I hate to say this, but it would be, you know, every female musician, especially women of color. I mean, and this is not to minimize at all any of 
of the horrible things that Mary Lou experienced or things that she she went through. But if you reduce everybody's story to uh, focusing on the hardships and not focusing on, for instance, I mean, Mary Lou, like one thing I wrote about a lot in the book was how she forged these networks of friendship by writing letters for like decades to nuns she met on spiritual retreats. Like to me, when I read about that, I think, wow, this woman, like she wasn't just, you know, hanging out with Bud Powell and Thelonious Monk and stuff like, which is amazing in and of itself. But I think we, we make that this legendary thing because we know who, we know Monk's music or we know Bud Powell's music. And it speaks to who she was as a person, that it was important to her to build these networks. But that isn't something that just happens. That is letters that you're writing right. to people. Like you're saying, she kept up right. these relationships. In some ways, that's the stuff I also relate to Mary Lou about. Because to me, and knowing something about her personality, even though I do believe that Mary was very stubborn in a lot of ways but often stubborn in ways that she had to be to get things to happen. And also knowing that she, believe it or not, she was also in many ways a shy person, which I consider myself to be introverted. You know, it takes energy to do all that stuff. And especially as I find myself getting older, it takes more, it takes more energy. And I really respect that about Mary Lou, that, she she did so much work, especially like thinking about, say, her sacred music. The other people didn't always necessarily get what she was doing or why she was doing it. I mean, in the end, I think she didn't care what they thought. She like did what she thought was the next right thing that she was supposed to do. And and she I mean, she did it. And, you know, that to me, that's one of the coolest things about her.
Mary Lou Williams from her album, The Circle Recordings. My guest is pianist, composer, and Mary Lou Williams scholar, Deanna Witkowski. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Talk about lonely moments. Well, I really first got to know this tune well when I played it with this Pittsburgh Symphony uh, in the spring of 2019. It was before I moved here, and this arranger named Ken Miller had done a medley of several Williams pieces, including Lonely Moments. And when I first started playing it, I only played it in F minor, um, which if you think about it, it's not too far away from our key of D flat. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, wait, I knew wait, you were it's going to get closer in a minute because <laughs> I had been playing. I had even, when I came here for seven weeks, I was playing it with people here because um, there was a guitarist here named John Shannon, and he he curates music for this club called Con Alma. And he had a trio that they would always do um, all music by Pittsburgh jazz musicians. So, you know, sometimes I would sit in with them and, you know, we'd always play Lonely Moments because I had a chart on it, but I only had it in the one key. And then I went back and listened to the you know, original solo version that Mary Lou did in the 40s. And I was like, wait a minute, she changes keys in the middle. And I realized she then goes from F minor to B flat minor, which now, you know, whatever. So yeah, <laughs> everything's close to D flat to me when we start getting into four flats and whatever. Um, oh, that's but, so funny. Yeah, but it, to me, the, that key change is what makes the tune so fun because... So every other chorus, we're, we're in either the one key or the other key. And it just makes it really fun to play. And also the fact that when you think about this period of time, too, Mary Lou wasn't the only one to do this, but she uses diminished seventh chords, which, you know, we don't, modern jazz musicians, we we, we substitute other things for that. Um, <laughs> and we do. We play dominant seven sharp nine chords or whatever, sharp five chords. And, and I know I throw that in my version too, but I definitely think about, um, think about that in here. And we also change the ending. So the ending is definitely not what Mary Lou played. I mean, we change it into a different kind of groove totally. And, uh, and end on a very unexpected chord, which I won't say what it is, but it's, you know, it's, yeah. So the the tune is just really, really fun. I mean, it's, and, but to me, the most fun part is just going between the two keys.
My guest, pianist Deanna Witkowski on the Mary Lou Williams composition, Lonely Moments, from Deanna's new CD, Force of Nature. I'm going to come full circle because we started talking about your connection, and it isn't just the music, it's a spiritual connection, and even the name of your book, Music for the Soul, is so beautiful, and saying that Mary Lou is your soul companion, all of this, and I believe this too, and I guard against being too kind of... I don't know, talking about music, like it makes it that we're self-important as artists, Mm, which I never want to go down that path. But I do know now that I've been around and I can see it, the change in people and Mm. what music can do. And speak to that a little bit. Well, I know for sure with Mary Lou that she really believed that jazz was a spiritual music and that it had the power to bring people together and to transform people. And, and she, she certainly did that. I mean, I've, I've read enough letters that were written to her from people who really felt that they had had their lives changed by her music or some, or sometimes by speaking with her, but primarily really through her music. And, you know, I, a couple of years ago, I, I wrote, this isn't a jazz piece, but I wrote this little choral piece. It took me not too long to write it called We Walk in Love for the Justice Choir Songbook. And it's all, all these choirs all over the country have sung it. It's free for people to get the music and sing anyway, blah, blah, blah. All I can tell you is that little song, and this is how this relates, that little song has brought so much, I mean, it's hard to say because I I wrote it, you know, but it's brought so much light to people. And it's something that uh, it was meant to be sung at any like social justice gathering or things like that, like because people would go to marches and have We Shall Overcome to sing, which is great, but not know what else to do. And so it was kind of this songbook is meant to fill this gap. And I've had people tell me how School kids write me and say, the only time I feel part of any community is when I sing your song with my choir Mm. or, you know, things like this. And I feel just very privileged when I receive these stories because usually we don't hear this stuff. You know, I mean, sometimes a brave person in the audience will say something to you. But I think then I think that that's happening and we don't know it. And I think when it happened, we model that when we're on the stage. I mean, if, again, I think if we're really able to let go of, you know, or get past the things like this piano is a piece of crap, or, you know, which is a real issue for pianists, and sometimes it really affects what you can play, or just the circumstances surrounding a performance or, or, or something. Uh, I mean, if we're able to in, enjoy, especially playing with others, being in community with other people and we're really listening and and responding to each other and having fun. And I mean, just getting to do that, especially having, you know, everyone going, having gone through COVID and being so alone, the privilege of doing that and modeling that on stage and having that kind of joy, I think that speaks to people. And and that that gives them something to hold on to. 
to have some hope. Deanna, so lovely to have you back on the show. And I have such admiration. You just forge ahead (laughs) and keep creating and doing new things. And I frankly don't know how you have the time (laughs) to do, to put out a record, to write a book. You're working on your doctorate. Yes. As well. Yep. And just, it's amazing. (laughs) So kudos to you and thank you for taking the time for this it's just well, thank it's you. This so was, much fun this this was very fun it was a pleasure to speak with you again and I was so excited that you invited me to come back and you have such great energy too you know Aww. so so yeah it's super fun to speak with you thank <laughs> you well hopefully I'll be in Pittsburgh and I'll get to see you I've got I a station so. there this will be on your hometown yes. NPR station Yay. so yeah so <laughs> Scott Hanley we love you yeah All right. Thank you, dear. This is so great. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. You've been listening to my conversation with Deanna Witkowski. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz inspires their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. You can listen to Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired on all podcast platforms and at jazzinspired.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD Trio. I'm on piano with Mike Hashem on sax and Chris Flory on guitar. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is sponsored in part with generous support from our listeners and Paige at 63 Main in Sag Harbor, New York, serving organic microgreens and vegetables grown on their own energy-efficient indoor and outdoor aquaponic farms. Better taste, happier planet. Visit Paige at 63 Main at opentable.com. And please tell your friends about Jazz Inspired and help us spread the word. For more information, visit jazzinspired.com or judycarmichael.com. <laughs>